All right, so the Super Bowl was last week, and I do love me some Super Bowl. Like, I love it. I absolutely love it. I think because the commercials, maybe. The commercials are fun. The food, I do love the food a lot. We had nachos and Oreos. Oreos it has nothing to do with the Super Bowl at all. But that was Gabe's vote. Gabe got one vote, and he's like, I vote Oreos. And that wasn't even, the rest of the services, they didn't get to hear that. Just so you know, I'm just sharing that with you. Back to the commercials. So I love the commercials, probably because in my head, it's always a competition. Like, I love competition. The commercials are competition, and Tide won. Tide won, because I didn't expect it. I, I expect Doritos to bring their A game. Like, you expect Doritos to bring it. I didn't expect Tide to bring anything, and yet they did. Like, I thought, it's a car commercial. It's not a car commercial. It's a Tide commercial, and it was fantastic. And there was also a game, right? The game was also outstanding because you have, like, 20 seconds left. Tom Brady has the ball. Tom Brady, the GOAT, greatest of all time, five Super Bowl rings, has the ball. And you just know, like, the game may turn around just like that because Brady has it. Like, the game could flip. A ju- and Gronk is a big muscle head, isn't he? Like, if you watch football, you know what I'm talking about. Like, any other team would get flagged for this. He doesn't get called for pass interference on the offensive side, even though he runs down the field and he goes like, kush, kush. Just knocking people out. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, he did that last play. He was just bashing people, and he dropped it. So, anyway, game over. But I do, I I love competition. I love, like, in Lisbon, Portugal, I would sit in the cafe, and I would watch soccer. I didn't know anything about soccer when I moved there. Like, nothing. I knew nothing. But all of a sudden, I caught myself sitting there. I would jump up and yell, Golu! You know, and like Cristiano Ronaldo did something. I'm so excited. I even know that name now. And so I didn't know that name. And I had like, there's Benfica or Sporting. And I always went with Porto because that was my team. And so, anyway, like, it was an exciting because I like the competition. All right? I like the competition. It can be anything. It could be the Olympics. In the Olympics right now, you got people doing this with the broom. I don't even know what that thing is. Like, that is the weirdest sport I've ever seen. But I'll be on the edge of my seat, like, screaming at the TV just because I'm like, this is it. It's competition. It's, it's, it's big. This, so the Olympics, you know, the Olympics bring out the competitive spirit. It could be, like, Rocky versus the Russian. You know, I'm into it. Like, Rocky versus, I will break you. You know, like, I'm like, yes, this is go time. Or maybe you're like, not like the Mr. T one better. You know, Mr. Clubber Lang, I think was. Anyway, before that, there was a real boxer. This guy, look at this guy. Cassius Clay, 22 years old. He fought for the heavyweight championship of the world at 22. He said that he had dreamed of being the heavyweight champion since he was a, a little bitty boy. And here he is, 22, in the fight of his life against Sonny Liston. Sonny Liston, he was just he was mean, y'all. Like, for those of my generation, like, I don't remember. I had to go back on YouTube and watch the fight. But Sonny Liston, he got put in prison for bashing people with his fist. Like, he was mean. And then they taught him to box in prison. And he just became, he had, like, these humongous fists. And he was fighting Cassius Clay. Cassius Clay, who became Muhammad Ali. Like, if you're like, he looks familiar. It's Muhammad Ali. But he was Cassius Clay at the time. And so Cassius Clay was fighting Sonny Liston. He was a huge underdog. Huge, because Sonny Liston would go out there and just whoosh, whoosh, and knock your face off, you know? And he had been running his lips, moving up to the fight. And so Liston came out looking mad. Watch the first round. Like, he looks mad, but he looks so dumb trying to hit this guy. Because Cassius Clay was so fast. So he'd, like, swing. It's like nothing but air and swing and nothing but air. And then at the end of the first round, Cassius Clay just like, you know, just like, just went crazy on his head. And then, like, into the it did this for six rounds. And the sixth round, Cassius Clay just whooped him. Like, he 
whooped him to the point that Sonny Liston is sitting there on his stool at the end of the sixth round. The bell for the seventh rings, and he can't even fight over. Fight, technical knockout. Liston can't even get up, and you guys all know the scene, but watch this. If you go on YouTube and watch the full interview, because he keeps going talking about how he's the greatest, he's the king of the world, he's this and that, and then he yells, I'm a pretty man, I'm a, and this guy grabs him and says, come here, come here, you're not that pretty, and so anyway, I thought it was really funny whenever I watched it. Again, good morning everyone, I'm Billy Creech, and I'm your interim campus pastor, and it's good to have you at Woodside Romeo this morning. We're in this series called Into Focus, and actually this is the last week of this sermon series. Kind of, like we're going to switch the name up next week, but we're still going to be in the book of Mark. Like, so we're tricking you. We're going to make you think it's a new sermon series, but it's not. We're still going to be in the book of Mark. Take your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 9 this morning. Mark chapter 9. So Cassius Clay at the age of 22 was screaming out that he is the greatest. At 22 years old, he had already figured out he's the greatest, right? You can watch um, you can watch the Super Bowl, and you can be like, man, Tom Brady, he's the greatest of all time. He, what is it that makes someone the greatest? Right? What is it that really makes you the greatest? Is it that you have more toys? Is it we're watching the Olympics? Someone's going to break a world record today, right? It happens with the Olympics almost every day. There's another world record that falls. Maybe that person's the greatest. Maybe knocking someone's face off, is, it makes you the greatest. Maybe it's launching a rocket and putting a fake spaceman in your car and making it go around Mars to the sun. Maybe that's what makes you the great. That's pretty cool. If you haven't seen the pictures, like, it's really funny. Anyway, like, maybe that's what makes you the greatest. Get on YouTube and start looking. You're going to see these musicians and artists that are crazy talented, and then you realize they're only three years old, you know, and you're like, that person must be the greatest. It's incre- what is it that makes you the greatest? Because here's what I think. I think that as we look at billboards, I think as we look at magazines, I think as we look at all the advertisements that come our way with people with perfect skin and perfect smiles and their fancy clothes doing whatever great successful people do, I think that we find that when we try to live to a level of greatness that the world calls us to, we just end up really frustrated. That's what I think. I think that when we try to live up to the world's expectation of greatest, we always end up frustrated. Because not what the Bible calls us to. The Bible calls us to this greatness in this place of sacrifice. You see, true greatness, that's our big idea today. True greatness is really about sacrifice. Today, we're going to look at how Jesus is refocusing the disciples really on what true greatness is about. So let's go to our Bibles, Mark chapter 9. I'm going to start in verse 30. What I want to do is I want to read the whole text for today. I just want to read the whole text, and then we're going to stop, and we're going to go back and pick it apart, if that's okay. Starting in verse 30, the Word of God says this. It says, Then they went on from there and passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. 
But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. Taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. And John said to him, teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, do not stop him, for one who does a mighty work in my name, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So the first thing we see today is that true greatness is not about success. True greatness really isn't about success. Look again back at your Bible, verse 30. It says this, it says, They went on from there and they passed through Galilee, and he did not want anyone to know For he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, the Son of Man is going to be delivered to the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed after three days, he will rise. And so we've talked about this before, but Israel is kind of like this rectangular shape. He's going from Galilee. He's on a journey on the way down south toward Jerusalem. And it's on that way that he's teaching them. Now up until this point, normally Jesus, when he would walk through these areas, he would teach the crowds. But if you look at the Bible, it says he started to talk just to the disciples. So he's wanting to narrow the focus of the disciples. And right now he starts to teach them again that he's going to be killed and rise again on the third day. But this time is different. This is the second time it's happened out of three. There's going to be three times. This is the second time. The first time when Jesus taught the disciples and said this, the first time it almost sounded like Jesus was saying, that the scribes and the chief priests, that they would just take and kill Jesus. Now listen, that was the first time. It almost sounded like they were going to be responsible for the death of Jesus. But here he uses a different Greek word. And it's a word that means to hand over, that Jesus will be handed over. This changes it. See, it narrows the focus. And Jesus says, it's been God's plan. It's all been part of God's plan, and I will be handed over to them, and I will be killed, and then on the third day, I will rise again. They didn't understand this. Like, this freaked them out just a little bit, because they didn't see Jesus that way. They saw him as great. They saw him as the Messiah. They saw him as an earthly king. They still did not see suffering king. They didn't see suffering Messiah, so this was hard for them to get their, their hands around. Now, normally when we think of of someone who's great, when we think of someone who's powerful, when we think of someone who's mighty, we think like Twitter followers, right? Or we think popularity, or we think polls, or we think Time Magazine Person of the Year, right? That's what we, Time Magazine every year, they do a Person of the Year, don't they? Every year, and it will be a cause or a group or a specific individual. In 1938, 1938, anyone know who the Person of the Year was? Yeah, Adolf Hitler, 19. 19- 38. And there's been some pushback. There's been some pushback because people are like, wait, wait, wait. Hitler was a person? Here's what they said. They said Hitler became in 1938 the greatest threatening force that the democratic, freedom-loving world faces today. He did a great evil and was called great because of it. That is so counter what the Bible teaches. 
the Bible teaches that greatness, greatness, true greatness is sacrifice. Next, we're going to see that greatness is not about status. It really is not connected to status. Look at verse 33. And they came to Capernaum. And he was in the house. He asked them, what are you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the 12. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. So Jesus is now in Capernaum, right? And as he's in Capernaum, He's in this house, and he's teaching just the disciples. Again, there's no crowds. It's just Jesus with the 12. And as he's talking with the 12, he says, So on the way, I heard you guys chit-chatting. What, what were y'all chit-chatting about? And they're like, well, oh, what are you chit-chatting about? You know, they didn't want to say. And I would love to say, I would love to say, this was a struggle for people in the first century, specifically Jews. But that's not true. We struggle with this today, don't we? We struggle with what's the pecking order. Where am I on the ladder? If you're working, you know where you are in the org chart, don't you? You know who you report to and who reports to you. You know the pecking order. Even in your family, my boys, maybe it's just my boys are weird and your kids would never do this. But my boys, I remember them coming and being like, hey, dad, like, which one's your favorite? Like, I'm just like, I mean, like, just hypothetically, if you had a favorite, because we know who the favorite is. You know, and they would, like, debate one another because they're saying, like, we know who they're. And I'm like, you don't know. You don't know who my favorite is. I have a favorite, but I'm telling you. You know, that's kind of how I would do it. But we're always wanting to know, aren't we? Even with sports. If you look at the Olympics, and maybe you're way different than most people. Most people don't look to say, okay, what are the names of all the individuals who have won medals so far? You know what most people do? What's the medal count? Where are we in the standings, right? Where are we in the pecking order of nations? Is nation against na Gabe, I'm just going to throw this in. Gabe this morning said, Dad, why is it we can't all join together as nations to stomp out hunger on a global scale, but we can get together for bobsledding? And I'm like, dude, I don't know. Like, that's a great question, but I don't know. Here's what we find. We find in Scripture that greatness is found in way more than status, even though oftentimes that's our default. And our default goes into where are we with status. And then Jesus says something that challenged them and I think still challenges us. He said, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And then he does the unthinkable. He takes this little kid who's playing. Like when you get together with your neighborhood group, probably what happens is you have your group going and you've got your food maybe and you've got your Bible out and you guys are sitting around and you're talking about life and you're praying together and the kids... They're either down in the basement acting like they're not going to break something or they're, you know, but they're, they're doing their stuff together. That's kind of what's going on. And Jesus, can you see this scene? Jesus calls this little boy over. He takes this boy and he plops him right in the middle of everybody. He says, you want to know what greatness is? You want to know about, you, you want to be greatest? You need to become like this little boy here. And then Jesus picks him up, the Bible says, and puts him in his arms. You need to be like this little boy. You see that little boy on his own? He... He didn't have anyone reporting to him. On his own, he couldn't even live. He did not have what it takes to sustain life all on his own. And Jesus takes that little boy and says, if you want to be great, you're going to become least. You're going to become like this child. Now, I know what happens is sometimes we have a sermon like this one where we're talking about who's the greatest. And it's easy to sit there and think to yourself, well, I've heard this sermon a dozen times. I know Jesus is the greatest. I've got it. You know, I've got the church thing down. I already know what you're going to say before you say it when you start talking about who's the greatest. 
But I think that all of us need this reminder on a constant basis that it's important for us to rework our posture in life, that we should take on the posture of a servant. I, and maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm talking to myself and preaching to myself. But I think sometimes I need to be better at taking on the posture of a servant because sometimes we can get real caught up in the status of things. Greatness, last of all, greatness is not sectarian. It's not sectarian, which is a funny word. But the word, I want you to look at the word sect. Sect means a group, right? It, it means your own little club. It means your own little team. And, and greatness is not about what team you're a part of. It's not about your little group that you're a part of. Verse 38, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. And we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him. For no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. So John says, I'm the one you love most, Jesus, so let me be the spokesperson for the group. There's this fella, and he's been casting out demons in your name. Don't worry, we gave him a cease and desist. Like, we told him, hush up, because he was going around. And I wonder, like, if you look back at your Bible, verses 14 through 18, you see the disciples are trying to cast out a demon, right? Like in chapter 9, right there, verse 14 through 18. They're trying to cast out a demon, and they're not successful. So I wonder if that's what some of this is about. But John says, this guy is not part of us. If he wants to cast out demons, he should be part of the 12, which would make number 13 now, right? But he would have to come be part of us, but he's not. So Jesus, I told him to hush. I told him to stop. And Jesus says, John, you can't do that. And I think so many times... There are verses that change everything that we just, we just zoom right over, and I think this is one of those. I think this is one of those passages. I think so oftentimes we just, we just skim right past it, and, and you miss it. This is huge. This changes the trajectory for the whole rest of the New Testament. You realize that, right? Up until this point, Judaism has been very exclusive. It's been very exclusive. That it's only about the Jews being together. Right? It's about their group. And if you're not part of their group, well, you can become part of their group. It's not an easy process. But if you don't follow the rules of their group, they're very exclusive. They're going to kick you out of the group. In fact, they might stone you to death on the way out just for good measure. Right? That's how, but Jesus is different. Jesus says, this isn't exclusive. This is inclusive. Essentially, be nice. Like, play well with others. It's not just about our club and no one else. You have to work with others. This is not sectarian. He's helping them to see that this is a very inclusive gospel, which changes the course for the whole rest of the New Testament. Now, through our 14 campuses at Woodside Bible Church, we're all joined together with one mission. And we all have the same values. One of our values is we are family. Now, this is my third campus to be the interim campus pastor of. This is my third one. I've been to all of our campuses, including the campus we're just starting right now at Detroit East, which will, God willing, become number 15 in, in our campus list. And of all the campuses I've been to, I have to tell you, you are the one that nails this thing of we are family. I don't know if anyone's ever told you that, but you're great at this. You are great at we are family. You really are. There's churches who will say, well, what we do good is we're real welcoming. We haven't had anyone new in five years, but we're real welcoming with each other. And I'm like, that, that, that just means you like each other. You're hanging out with people you like. That doesn't mean you're welcoming. for but this place, again, a growth rate of about 15% per year, you are stellar 
as saying, hey, we're going to open the doors to everyone who wants to come. Anyone who wants to come, not only are we going to get up early and go to an 8.30 service and have that, or we're going to scoot over and we're just going to get rid of personal space. Like, we're just, we're going to welcome everyone in, young, old, rich, poor. Like, it, it, none of that matters. Everyone is welcome. Not only that, come to our neighborhood group and be part of that. Not only that, come to our family fun night and be part of that. Like, this is the most welcoming campus I, I think I've ever seen in my life. This place is really, really amazing. And I just want to say, don't coast. Does that make sense? Don't hit cruise control because this is hard. This really isn't easy. This, this is tough stuff. This is tough stuff because when you start encountering people different than you, it makes you squirm. I have 14 campuses. 14 campuses. I think Plymouth is the furthest over there, all the way to Algonac over there, and everybody in between. And of all those areas, this is the fastest growing area in southeast Michigan. So it's changing, isn't it? Like, I don't have to convince you. Your neighborhoods change. Your schools are changing. Going to the grocery store probably used to be easy to go get milk. It's not as easy anymore because all those people, right? And, and it gets hard to get into people's lives and be intentional with the gospel. It's challenging and can make us squirm. And I understand that. Like, I started thinking through as I was getting this sermon ready, like, when's a time in my life that I really understood what it meant to squirm? And um, I think the best example, I was getting off the, is this, the subway in Portugal, they call it the metro, which in English is the metro. It's a subway. So I was getting off the subway, and as I was getting off, there was this guy, and he was handing out these cards. And I've been in the country like four months or five months, and I took one of the cards, and I was reading it. Most of the words I didn't understand, but one of the words, it said, spiritualista. And I thought, well, I may be from the South, but I understand that's close to the word spiritual. You know, I got that. I grabbed onto that word spiritual. And I thought, this might be a church guy. So I asked him, do you speak English? And he said, no, of course he doesn't speak English, you know. And, and I said, well, what is this? You know, explain it. You know, and I start asking him, what is this? Explain it to me. And, and who are you? And what are you doing? He goes, oh, well, sometimes, and he's pantomiming this and words that I can figure out. He goes, sometimes people have stomach aches or headaches. And so what I do is I take this and this and this and I mix it all together and I tell them to drink it and then I burn something and I pray to the spirits. My mouth dropped. I looked at him and I went, you're a witch doctor. That's what, because he's from Africa, right? I'm like, you, I know what you, and he's like, okay. And I'm like, I, I know, I know what you are. You're a witch doctor. So I'm, I'm telling him like I've got this figured out. And, and church, I was squirming right then. Maybe you wouldn't have been. Maybe you hang out with witch doctors all the time. I had just, I'd never, I'd see them on Scooby-Doo, but that was it. Like, I had never hung out with a witch doctor before, but I was intrigued now, right? Greatness requires sacrifice. It's selflessness. It's not about me. It's about Jesus, right? And so I said, hey, Lamine, I want to meet you next week if, if you're interested. He's like, yeah, let's, let's do that. And Lamine, I found that was way, way more than just a witch doctor. The next week as we met, he said he was very, very sorry that he didn't speak English. And he was really ashamed of it because he only spoke five languages and English wasn't one. He said, I speak Wolof and I speak Vandang and I speak French and I speak Portuguese and I speak Arabic. And my radar went up and I went, wait, wait, you, you speak Arabic? He goes, yes, I was, I was an Arabic professor in Senegal. And I said, you were an Arabic professor in Senegal. Where did you learn Arabic? And he said, I learned in Mecca. And again, 
I slammed on the brakes and I said, wait, you're a Muslim witch doctor. Like that really made me squirm. Like I'd never heard of a Muslim witch doctor before, but he's like, because yeah, I asked him, you know, are, are, you a, are you a Muslim? He goes, what? And I go, are you a Muslim? He goes, oh yeah, I'm a Muslim. And I'm like, Okay, so I'd say it funny, but whatever, you know, but it's the, the concept is the same. You're a, you're a Muslim witch doctor. And so then it just, it hit me. I said, so the Bible, I mean, the Bible's one of your holy books. Would you study your holy book with me? Like, because I, I, I'm curious in the Bible. I like to read the Bible. Would you read the Bible with me? He thought about it for a second. He said, yeah, I'd like that a lot. I've ne- it is one of our holy books. I've never really read through it. I would really like to read through the Bible with you. And so we started to read through the Bible. And I, I kind of called a timeout. And I said, Lamine, if, if you could ask God just one question, what would you want to know? Of anything in the world, what, what would you want to know? If you could ask God just one thing. And you know what he said? He said, I'd want to know, was Jesus a Muslim or a Christian? And I knew the answer, and I wanted to jump out of my chair and scream the answer at him. But I thought, no, I'm going to let the Bible do that. And I said, well, let's just, let's read the holy book, and let's see what the holy book says. And he sent me a text later on that week and said, my friend Billy, Jesus wasn't a Muslim or a Christian. He was Jewish. So I'm like, yes, he was. Yes, he was. And then he wanted to know, why have our people been fighting for so long? I just don't understand. The next time I met him, went to the cafe and he uh, said, Billy, I would like to introduce you to some of my friends. If you're interested, I'd really like you to meet them. And I said, Lamina, well, I'd love to meet your friends. That, that sounds fantastic. So we start walking through the streets. And as we're walking through the streets, he keeps, like, getting closer and closer to me. And I, I kind of like my space. Like, I like my little happy bubble. But he was, like, breaking my happy bubble and getting over. And then I noticed, like, his hand kept, like, bumping my hand. I'm like, that's weird. Like, I don't, you know, get off me. And, um... Uh, <laughs> So like, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden he reaches over and he grabs my hand and he waffles it. Like maybe there's a better word for it, but he interlaced his fingers with my fingers. And then the South dudes don't be waffling fingers with other dudes walking down the street. So like everything in me is squirming. Everything in me is so uncomfortable because I'm like, this is not okay. Like my head is sweating. My face is red. And I'm like, he is whole. And he is like happily swinging hands with me, just walking down the street as happy as can be. And then here's what happened. We get to this group of guys, and I am just so uncomfortable in this place because his culture, this Senegalese culture is so different than what I come from. We start meeting these guys, and he starts telling me, Billy, this this man is from Angola, and this one is from Mozambique, and this one is from Guinea-Bissau, and this one is from Goa, and this one is from Senegal, and he introduces me as his friend from America, and then he introduced me as his brother. I don't know if I've ever been so humbled in my life to have Lamine introducing me to his personal friends and his family as his brother. And I got to be part of seeing God work in Lamine's life. And I saw as Lamine went to church for the first time and started to hear about Jesus for the first time and the work that was done. But here's here's the part that hits me every single time I hear the story and every single time I tell it again what I end up hearing is conviction in my own heart, just thinking, how many times have I missed greatness? How many times have I missed seeing Jesus glorified because I was afraid someone might reach over and grab my hand and it'd be weird to me? How many times have I missed because I was afraid I wouldn't know the answer? 
because he studied Arabic in Mecca, and he knows things that I don't know. I may have a seminary degree, but this guy lived in Mecca. Are you kidding me? Like, you know, I, I may not have the answer to this question. How many times have I missed out? And maybe an even better question is, who's your Lamine? Who's your Lamine? Who's that person that you know you're supposed to be building the relationship with right now? But you haven't really jumped in because it'd be messy. We're family. Well, sometimes we're family as long as they're close enough to like us that it's an easy conversation. Sometimes we're a little more hesitant when it's hard. Who's that person? Maybe it's hard because of culturally they're just different. Maybe it's hard because they've got questions you don't know the answers to. Maybe it's hard just because they're a different kind of person. Who's that person for you? Or maybe it's not the person. Maybe the question is, what is it you're supposed to stop doing right now? See, some of you, you've been doing some things that you know you're not even supposed to do. Some work stuff that you're not even supposed to be doing anymore. You know that the Lord has been encouraging you to stop, but you haven't stopped because you like being high up on the pecking order. Right? And you're like, but if, if, I, if I don't do this and I lose my shiny name badge, if I don't do this and I lose this, if I don't, or maybe it's not losing something, maybe it's the opposite. What is it the Lord's been calling you to start? Maybe, maybe you haven't. You haven't started because you're afraid of failure. You're afraid of what if I don't know enough? What if, what if it doesn't go the way I planned? Jesus took that child and put it right in the middle of them. Do you want to know what greatness is? It's like that child. It reminds me of when my boys were little. I'd say, I don't recommend this. If you're like a safe parent, don't do this. But I'd stand them up on the counter and I'd smack my arms and I'd hold my hands out and I'd tell them to jump. I love boys because they just laugh. They giggle and they just go for it. Like they just bail because they know daddy's going to catch them. Jesus said, become like that kid. Now, I hope that's us. I hope that's me. I hope that I'm the guy that just looks at my heavenly father and just giggles and jumps and says, whatever it is you call me to, I'm willing to do it. Because it's not about me, it's all about you. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for today. We thank you for the calling that you have on our lives. We thank you for your holy word and for teaching us that greatness is about sacrifice. It's not about posturing. It's not about being part of the right group or clique or club. It's about you. It's about loving those around us. Lord, I pray that as you look at us as your kids, that you see people willing to leap off that countertop, giggling the whole way. Help us to continue to engage in those relationships, even when they make us squirm. Help us to be a family, to do it in a way that honors you and glorifies you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Church, we stand as we sing this song.